Hello everyone and welcome to the All In Football Podcast with me, your host, Cully Matharu. With me today, I have Scunthorpe United fan and EFL expert, Scott Williams, Manchester United fan and fantasy football guru, Alex Rex, and Leeds United fan and European connoisseur, Tom Hughes. Coming up on the show today, we're going to delve into the depths of the relegation battle. We're also going to touch on the likes of Manchester United, Liverpool and West Ham, as well as looking at the candidates for the manager of the season. Also going to round up the goings-on in the AFL and the Champions League. And for all you fo- fantasy football players, we're going to finish with Alex giving us some hot tips on how to finish the, sh- the season strongly. If you want to give us a follow on social media, please do on All In Football P on Twitter and All In Football Pod on Instagram. Right, boys, let's get in amongst it, in the thick of it. Uh, right, the relegation battle is hotting up. And I'm going to read out the Premier League table just to give us a bit of familiarity now. Uh, Burnley in 15th uh, on 30 points, Newcastle in 16th on 27 points, Brighton in 17th on 26 points, Fulham in 18th on 26 points, and a cut adrift from the rest of West Brom in 19th in eight, on 18 points, and Sheffield United in 20th, all but relegated on 14 points. Tom, I remember Jamie Carragher saying it was the most certain thing ever that Fulham were going to get relegated at the start of this season. They're right back in it now after some tremendous results, definitely at the weekend beating Liverpool. Did you see this turnaround coming and do you reckon they'll stay up? Um, did I see it coming? Uh, probably not, to be honest. Um, I think there was it was clear to everyone. I think in that same rant, Jamie Carragher was talking about uh, how poor Fulham were defensively. And I think if uh, I go back into the Championship um, and obviously when Leeds were down there, uh, I watched Fulham a lot more. Uh, it was clear to see that Scott Parker hadn't really got his way, his style of playing through to the, the Fulham team in terms of their structure at the back. Uh, but what was clear was they had really good players and going forward, uh, there was a lot of quality there. I think even in the first part of the Premier League season, uh, Fulham played nice football. It was very good. Uh, they were very good on the ball, uh, but their problem has been off the ball. Uh, so, what Scott Parker has, has managed to do is make them defensively sound. And since that's happened, that's when the results have come in. So I, I don't think I saw it coming, but it was clear to see where they needed to improve. And Scott Parker has managed to improve them in that area. And they've managed to, you know, pick up some really good results recently uh, with, you know, the latest one being Liverpool. Uh, so didn't see it coming, but it, it's a really good, a really good delivery from Scott Parker to get that defense, those defensive issues sorted out. I definitely agree there with you, mate. Uh, particularly against in our game, watching it, uh, they were definitely de- defensively solid, and it was really hard to break them down. But they were at um, at their place as well when we played them and drew one all. We had to get a a really lucky penalty to to draw with them. Um, but yeah, that's... I mean, we sh- we shouldn't get too carried away about them beating Liverpool because everyone can do that at the moment. So. Yeah, you're not wrong, mate. Let's um, let's not speak about that, um, <laughs> Alex. In terms of Brighton. They're such a good team to watch. Uh, I mean, at the start of the season, I remember them giving you a really tough game and you had to have that penalty after full time um, to beat them. Uh, how exactly have they found themselves in this dogfight? Fun stats about Brighton, right? Which backs up exactly what you've said about how fun they are to watch. So they're seventh for shots in the Premier League. They're 10th for expected goals. So they've had the 10th best quality of chances in the league so far this season. They've had eight penalties, which has only been bettered by Chelsea, obviously Man United, and Leicester. So they're getting up the pitch, they're having shots, they're putting themselves in position, but they're 15th for shots on target and 15th for the amount of goals they've scored. Um, It's terrible from set pieces. They've only scored three headed goals and they've scored nothing from direct free kicks. To be honest, it all boils down to they can't put the ball in the back of the net. That, that's what it that's what it comes down to. Neil Mopé scored seven goals this season. The next top scorer is Lewis Dunk with three. So they're a great team to watch. They're really pretty on the eye. But at the end of the day, they're not converting the chances that they are creating. Uh, and if you're not putting the ball in the back of the net, you're going to get relegated. It's as simple as that. So it, it, that's where I see the problem being. Problems from set pieces. And uh, there's only Lewis Dunk who's got three goals, everyone else, the max is two goals. So that's frightening, though, isn't it? When they've got the left back or the right back, who's about nine foot tall, and they can't score from set pieces. Frightening li- for a club like 
literally three-headed goals this season, but they've got the uh, fourth amount of corners this season, which, which is which is crazy. And then, but also you, you have got to look at the defense very very briefly. So they have the worst percentage of tackles won in the league. Have they got the fight defensively? That's got to be something to do with maybe application. I don't know. And they're also the fourth lowest amount of blocks in the league. So throwing the bodies in front of the ball maybe, but also at the same time, maybe they're not facing that many chances. That's a little bit sceptical. But there's also a few quite damning defensive stats as well. Um, They're in this position because they deserve to be, unfortunately. I don't care how pretty their football is. If they can't put the ball in the back of the net, they're not good enough. That's interesting you said about the blocks, because I remember under Chris Hewton, their blocks were, from Duncan Duffy, they were just renowned for that. They just blocked exactly. everything. And now, obviously, Duffy's gone. I still rate their defence. Obviously, when they played Liverpool, I know everybody beats Liverpool, like Tom said, at Anfield at the minute, but they had a fantastic defensive record. They were on a, on a great defensive run of something like three goals conceded in like seven games. So, yeah, I think you're right that the problem is putting the ball in the, in the in the back of the net, which is surprising because they've got some really good attacking players like Trossard, Morpé, um, Welbeck, Lalana. They're all pretty talented players and going forward. I, I really see if they can get out of this, this battle and stay in the Premier League, they can push on if they get a, a decent striker that can score 15, 20 well, goals a season. Every statistic that you look at, everything about them is mid-table team, 10th and 11th, except for goals, pretty much. Obviously, I've talked about the tackle success rate, but other than that one statistic, everything else you look at is 10th or 11th in the league, including clean sheets. Yeah. Right. I'm going to move on to Newcastle now. Callum Wilson is not returning until probably mid-next month now, Scott. Where are the goals coming from to keep them up? Uh, Where are the goals coming from? No idea. No idea whatsoever. Looking through the statistics, I can say if Wilson doesn't score, they struggle. Second top goal scorer, Almiron, two, two of them were in one game. And then you've got uh, the boy Joe Linton with three goals. Let's be honest, he's shite. He is really, really bad. Well, he's got uh, that worldie, Scott. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, we, we've all scored a worldie once nine years ago. Like, it's... <laughs> it's Stephen it's, Cullen. It's horrendous. Like, when I you look at it, I feel so so... Bloody sorry for Newcastle fans because you know what? As much as they can, you know, get a bit of stick, they were some of the most passionate fans you'll ever see, and they've been treated to just shit football for so long now. I remember the years of Keegan and the football they played with Espria and players like that. They were just so good to watch. It's just, it's just ridiculous. Two wins, four draws, and twelve losses in the last eighteen games. It's, it's not good enough. Um, why is Dwight Gale not playing more? We know he can score. Um, he's done it. He's done it. Maybe not at this level, but has he really ever been given too much of a chance? Um, I think. I think they're going to struggle, and we're going to touch on it later. But I think they're going down, quite frankly, and they're a long way away from when Mbappe was touted coming this time last year. So yeah, they could do with him. I think, couldn't they? I think that therein lies the problem that you're relying on Dwight Gale to maybe get you some goals off the bench. He's been around forever now. And yeah, if, if you're allowing him to get you some goals, you're in trouble. Uh, Tom, West Brom, too far gone now, do you reckon? I mean, they really need to be winning games against teams like Newcastle in and around them to have a chance. They're on 18 points, realistically, to get to 40 points, which is that magic number, as, as everyone says. They, they need Premier League title winning form. Too far gone? Massively too far gone. And uh, Alex is going to love this because I'm going to drop some statistics and figures in here for you. But under uh, Slavin Bilic, uh, West Brom's points per game was 0.53. Under Big Sam, it's now 0.61. And even if you account for the fact that their last five games um, have been better, they've still only delivered 1.2 points per game. And at that rate, they are finishing on 30 points. So, no, they're relegated. Simple as that. Yeah, it's a shame. I like West Brom. There's something about them that's um, quite a friendly club, I, I feel. They are known for the boing-boing baggies, though. So, I, I won't be surprised if they, they go down and come straight back up next year because that's the type Absolutely. of club they are. Absolutely. And there's you can't rule out some kind of miracle from Big Sam. But statistically speaking, mathematically speaking, it would be a miracle. 
I'll get, another, get another stat for you there, Tom, which I, which I really like about West Brom, is they have used 30 players this season. So if you compare that to a team like Leeds United, who have, I think, used 22 players, West Brom have used basically the most amount of players out of pretty much any team. Even Liverpool have only used 27 different players this season, and they've had more injuries than, I think, the entire league combined, according to you, Cully. So... It's yeah. West Brom are, West Brom are trying try everything and it's just not working, is it? West Brom are a weird team. Every time I watch them in the last two months, they've come out the blocks. Like, they've all had, like, a, a lot. A lot of uh, energy drinks. Sorry, I was going to say it's probably not fit for a podcast. They've had a lot of energy drinks. <laughs> they've had a lot of energy drinks. They come out with, it's clear the game plan is, nick a goal early and then we're just going to park the bus. Because they came out against Man United firing. They've come out against... A lot of teams, and you know what? They've looked bloody good up front, and then attacking-wise. And I, I think if they don't get that goal in the first 10, 15 minutes, it does hit them, and you can see the confidence does drain. And, yeah, I agree. Big Sam is due a relegation. I think it's coming as well. Remember they were 3-0 up against Chelsea? <laughs> Tough times. I do. I do. <laughs> One I thought... One million college some money though, didn't it? Yeah, I know. I was, I was literally about to say that I put on the, that bet at half time saying I knew Chelsea were going to come back because it was a typical top team uh, against a, a relegation threatened team. I, I still remember, I think it was 04 or 05, was it the, the great escape from West Brom? And that's why I think I've got some re- really good nostalgia from that. I think Jeff Horsfield or I think Kieran Richardson, someone Kieran like that, scored on the last day. That the, I can't remember who that was. It Brian Robson, their manager? Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah. And they stayed stayed up for the final day, and I've, st- I've got some really good nostalgia from them. But uh, I hope I hope they come back up next season, but you, you never know for the championships. Oh, West Brom are never far from a bounce back. They're, yeah. They'll be back. Championships never, are a tough league, though. Never far from boring football. I can't remember any, ever like sitting down and being excited to watch West Brom play in the last 20 nah. years of watching football. They should have kept Slavan, to be honest. I think he would have... If that, that that initial hit when Sam came in hurt them more than potentially we realise. Anyway, I'll let you move on from that one, Cully. <laughs> right, we're going to do some bottom three predictions now. I think what we're all saying is Sheffield United and West Brom are, are pretty much down. So I'm going to come to Tom first. Who's that third team going down? <sighs> really, this is a tough one. It is, a, for me, a real coin toss between Brighton and Newcastle. I think Fulham have hit the right vein of form at the right time. If I had to put my money on it, probably going to say it's going to be Newcastle. I'd, I wish it was Brighton, so we'd have a chance at Ben White, but it's going to be Newcastle. Any reason why? Any reason why? I, I still Brighton, I think that the confidence in the players in the way that they're playing, I think will eventually come through in the results. As Alex says, the statistics in most areas for Brighton point to them being a much better team than the place and the table they are. Um, Newcastle, uh, you know, once I've, every time I've watched Newcastle, I don't see much of a game plan from them in terms of, you know, what they're trying to do. If they don't play St. Maximan, they seem to have very little creativity on the pitch. So they are extremely reliant on him, whereas I think Brighton are reliant on a style of play. And I think that's what I'll see him, see him through in the end. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Alex, who's your third team? As completely boring as it is, I won't waste any time. I agree with every word that Tom just said. Newcastle are going to go down for all those reasons. Scott? Yeah, I think I've already touched on it. They can't score, so uh, they're buggered really, aren't they? Um, all, I, all I would think of, if I'm Callum Wilson sat there, why the hell did I turn Aston Villa down? Big mistake. Well, I didn't even know that he turned Aston Villa down, if I'm honest. So, yeah, definitely a big mistake from him. Was that before the Watkins signing? I assume. Uh, was, was that with before, him? No, it was before. What was before. quite late on in the window. It was very late on. He he chose to go to Newcastle over Villa. He had the choice. So, errors. Yeah, definitely. Well, well, as boring as it is, uh, I have to agree. I think Newcastle are down. I think Fulham, uh, what Tom said was perfect. I think they're hitting the right vein of form. I think they're defensively really solid and they're grabbing some, grabbing some key goals at the right time. I just don't see where the goals are coming from from Newcastle at all. Even if Wilson comes back at the end of April and, and bags a few, still don't see that saving them. Um, right, okay, let's change it up uh, a bit now and uh, delve in some uh, EFL action. Uh, and the man for that is, of course, Scott Williams. Scott, what's been going on in the world of Football League this week? Cheers, Cully. Yeah, let's take a look at some proper football. No VAR down here, but some, um, I would say Neil Warnock would probably wanted some this weekend. 
Um, starting at the top of the Championship, Norwich continued to march towards their return to the Premier League with a 3-0 win at home to Luton. They're now 11 points clear referred. Watford won the early kickoff to keep them in a second automatic promotion spot. There was drama galore at the Liberty Stadium in a game between Swansea and Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough thought they'd salvaged a much-deserved point in the 91st minute. However, a controversial penalty decision in the 97th minute led to Andre Ayew converting a penalty to give all three points to Swansea. Like I mentioned, I'm sure Neil Warder potentially had one or two things to say to the ref after the game. Um, just a big shout out to Barnsley, wildly tipped as one of the favourites for relegation this season. The draw midweek against Derby was their first points dropped in their last eight games. What an incredible run of they've been on. It's taken them into the playoffs. At the bottom, a loss in his first game in charge for Darren Moore meant Chef Wednesday and Wickham prop up the bottom of the league, with Rotherham having to play catch-up because of COVID postponements, joining them in the bottom three. Looking ahead to the weekend, for me, the game of the weekend is Cardiff versus Watford. That's the third and fourth most informed teams in the league. They meet on Saturday. One, Watford hunting down that second automatic promotion place, while a resurgent Cardiff, Cardiff team under Mick McCarthy have won seven and drew four in his 11 games in charge and have their eyes well and truly set on the playoffs. One for the Acker this week. Bournemouth versus Barnsley, both teams to score. Bournemouth has scored in 10 of their last 11 games, while Barnsley's goalless draw versus Derby was the first time they have drawn a blank in their last nine games. Fully expect goals in this one. Over in League One, it's been another busy week in both League One and League Two. We've got full weekend and midweek fixtures played. Starting with the weekend fixtures in League One, it was another round of fixtures and another leader at the top of League One. Hull's win and Petersburg's surprise defeat to Burton means the Tigers climbed back to the summit. Big shout out to the job that Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank has done at Burton since taking back over. Seven wins from their last nine games has taken them from relegation certainties to looking towards mid-table. Wins for Lincoln, Sunderland and Donny kept them all in the playoffs, while a shock 4-1 hammer into Northampton has left Pompey looking over their shoulders at a chasing playoff pack. Bottom of the league is incredibly tight. Only four points separate the bottom six sides. Only Wigan managed to win this weekend, which means Rochdale, AFC Wimbledon and Bristol Rovers join Wigan in the relegation places. Some big new, uh, sorry, some big games at the top of the league in midweek, starting with the leaders' hull. It ran out 3-1 winners away at second place Peterborough to move them clear at the top. Uh, fourth place Sunderland beat sixth place Pompey 2-0. It's now three straight losses in a row for Portsmouth. Kenny Jacket is actually coming some real pressure at the club. Game of the weekend for me, Lincoln versus Rochdale. Massive implications at both ends of the table. Third place Lincoln need a win to keep up that automatic promotion hopes. While bottom place Rochdale are just trying to stay in the division. And one for the Acker for League One. Donny versus Northampton, over 2.5. Four of Donny's last five games have been over 2.5, while three of Northampton's last four have been. And into League Two. Um, Cheltenham made it six wins in the last seven games to maintain the lead at the top of League Two. Cambridge bounced back after losing to Scunthorpe. We'll just leave that there, no bias on the pod. In their last game to stay in second. And Forest Green stay in the final automatic promotion place after picking up a 2-1 win against bottom of the table Grimsby. Tromia, Markham, Newport and Bolton round off the playoffs. At the bottom, Southend drew against Oldham to keep them in the bottom two. That draw is enough for the Oldham board, who have sat Leeds and Liverpool man Harry Kuehl, swiftly replacing him with former Northampton town boss Keith Curl. Barrow picked up a massive three points and it's one win in 11 for Port Vale, who are dramatically plummeting down the league. Over to the midweek fixtures and there were some real struggles at the top. The top two of Cheltenham and Cambridge both lost, while third place Forest Green Rovers and fifth place Morgan Drew. That meant a win for Tranmere took them into fourth. Only three points now separate the top five teams in the league. It's looking like a cracking end to the season. Special shout out to Bolton Wanderers. They're now on a run of eight wins from 10 games. It's finally something for those long-suffering Bolton fans to smile about. And game of the weekend for me in League Two, that's Exeter versus Cheltenham. Leaders Cheltenham know they can't afford any slip-ups in the race for League One. A win for Exeter could take them back into the playoffs. And one for the Acker. Carlisle versus Bradford over 1.5 goals. 
Carlisle's last six games have all been over 1.5, whilst Bradford's last five away from home have all been over 1.5. And finally for me on this section, a little look ahead to a very unique event this weekend. On Saturday, Portsmouth plays Salford in the 2020 Football League Trophy Final. The winners will probably have the shortest cup reign in the history of English football, as 24 hours later, Sunderland and Tramia will be battling it out to become EFL Trophy 2021 champions. Seeing both Sunderland and Portsmouth battle it out for the lower league trophies really does highlight for me how far, how far they have fallen over the last few years. It was only back in 2008 when Portsmouth were lifting the FA Cup and taking their fans on a European tour. And who, who can forget the little and large partnership of Kevin Phillips and Niall Quinn firing in the goals for Sunderland in the Premier League. So it's really got me thinking who you boys think are the biggest fallen giants to speak of and why. So I'm going to throw this out to you first of all, Tom. Yeah, uh, so for me, uh, biggest fallen giants, um, I'm going to go with Blackburn. Um, the reason I picked Blackburn is because I feel a bit of a strong affinity with Blackburn because their last top flight t- title came very close uh, to Leeds United's last uh, top flight title. Uh, so their fall from grace, their fall from grace has been kind of in sync with ours and they actually fell to the same depths as us down to League One. Um, if you talk about Blackburn as a football club, it is absolutely crazy to think that they were in European football as recently as 2008 because for the life of me, I feel like Blackburn have been gone for ages and I'm guessing that's what people felt about Leeds United. As a Leeds fan, it's hard for me to to, to think that, but that's probably what people people thought of Leeds as well. And when I think of Blackburn, that's what I think. Um, but what I do love is the, the last time that they, they won the, the title, it was Kenny Dalgleish, wasn't it? and um, they actually lost to Liverpool um, on the last game of the season and then they only won the league because uh, Man U drew with uh, West Ham so massive massive uh, little throwback there for you but it's just it's just mental to me to see that um, Blackburn yeah fell down to League One they are now back in the championship uh, but will they ever soar to those heights again who knows it's a great shout and you'll never see a more awkward celebration of a goal than when Jamie Redknapp is in that free kick (laughs) He did not know where to look. Um, I, for me, it's a great shout. And I'm just really happy it happened because it meant Alan Shearer got a trophy before he retired because he was never getting one at Newcastle the way things <laughs> turned out. Sorry, Newcastle fans, if there's any listening. I do love you as a club. But yeah, uh, I feel like I'm banging on you a bit at the minute. Um, but um, Very good shout. You've actually, it's really interesting. I actually got looking through the tables. You've got to go back all the way to 1978 for any other club other than Blackburn that had won the top first division that are not in the Premier League now. Um, that club was actually Nottingham Forest, who won it in 1978. And that brings us swiftly over to you, Cully. Yeah, Notts Forest for me, 100% the, the biggest fallen giant. I know they're not in the League 1 or League 2 or conference doldrums, but they should be in the Premier League. 24 years since they were in the Premier League. Um, one league title. They were the only club, I think, in the world to have more European Cups than league titles from domestic leagues. Uh, it's an incredible start, that. Two FA Cups, four league Cups, the whole history of Brian Clough in, in the 70s and 80s. Are, it's, a, it's a great club and they should really, really be pushing onto the Premier League for me. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think it just highlights the job that Brian Clough did there, really, doesn't it? Um, and I think a majority of Forest fans last year would have probably had the eyes on at least a playoff push, but one absolute disaster on the last game of the season that was. So uh, well, they wore themselves out in their cup final, didn't they, Scotty? When they uh, celebrated like absolute maniacs when they beat us and thought that they'd won the won the league, and then they fucked it up, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> that's what you, that's what you get when you're one of the biggest clubs in the world, Tom. You've got to you've got to take it like uh, we we, like we carry that we carry that baggage with us daily. Yeah, no worries. And then finally to you, Mr. Alex. I know they've not won any European Cups or Premier Leagues, but uh, and you know you mentioned them in your roundup, Scott, being on really great form. But for me, Bolton Wanderers are one of the biggest giants that have fallen from the absolute highs of the UEFA Cup run of 2007-2008 when they beat, oh, they drew against Bayern Munich, they beat Atletico Madrid, and they got knocked out by Sporting Lisbon in the round of 16. They had 
quality players, even Campo, the World Cup winner, Yuri Jokaev, Jokaev, I was going to say Djokovic, but no, that's wrong. Tennis player, right? Jokaev, and then JJ Kocha, who was one of my favourite players I've ever watched play football when I was growing up. Um, and obviously they went into administration in uh, 2019 and got bought and, and taken over. Um, but yeah, down in League Two now, and I really used to love watching Bolton play when I was growing up and watching football. Four-time FA Cup winners, and it'd just be great to see them back pushing up the leagues. Yeah, some really good, uh, really good shouts. And we want to hear what you guys think. Have we missed anyone out there? Like Kuli said earlier, we're all over social media. Follow us on Instagram, All In Football Podcast, and on Twitter as well. And yeah, let us know who we've missed out. Back to you, Kuli. Brilliant. Yeah, plenty of great shouts there. Even some we've missed out, I reckon. Teams like Sheffield Wednesday, Ipswich, Bradford, Derby. The list goes on and on of fallen giants in the lower leagues. Okay, let's um, get back to the Premier League now. And Al, I'll let you have your time to shine, mate, after a great weekend for United. I was going to put great week in my notes, but you you just messed up a a, a late win there against AC Milan. Uh, Equaliser in the 90th minute there, but... The, the City result in particular, is this a statement from United that they can mount a serious title challenge? I know they're in second at the minute, um, but a serious title challenge for next season. And what players do they need in the summer and who leaves? Uh, I think it's a great step forward again from last season to now this season. Um, I think we're making the right steps, the right progression. And I fully expected the inconsistencies that have happened this season again. And to be honest, I thought we would be third. If Liverpool had performed anywhere near where Liverpool did the last three years, they would be probably second uh, at the moment. We would be third, but but a good third uh, compared to last season when we were chasing our tails. Um, we're not scared of playing City. We beat them the last three out of the last six times we played them. City play against us in such a great way. Like Man United style against City style is is, is really compliments as well. Um, so yeah, I think next season with the right re- recruitment, we could mount a title challenge of some description. I- I'm not really, really confident about that, but I still think that we could. Um, I think first of all, we need uh, a centre half to partner Maguire that complements him. If we're not going to give Twanzebe um, a run of games to see if he's good enough, then we'll, he needs to go, and we need to sign a centre half. Uh, the next position needs to be a centre forward. We need a striker. Uh, Cavani has proven how injury prone he really is. And obviously he's a little bit older. He's our best centre forward. Um, We've got so many players that can play on the left side and so many players, to be fair, that can play on the right side. Greenwood and uh, I really like the look of Diallo. Um, Even Dan James can do a job there. So I think right-sided attacker is third on the list. So centre-half, striker, right-sided attacker um, and just clear out the deadwood, the ones who are injury prone. Hopefully we can sell Pogba this summer that'll free up some wages and also bring us some money in and then also we need to get rid of of David De Gea if Henderson's going to be number one De Gea's on 20 million pounds a year wages so and he's our top paid top paid player he's a top paid player in the Premier League as far as I'm aware um so yeah those are the two main players we need to go get rid of to then move forward with the amount of money that we can spend to replenish our squad isn't it absolutely mad that you sat here saying that you need to move on David De Gea? Because, you know, a few years ago, he would have been the one player that you'd said you don't want to lose. It's just, it's mental how that's changed. Four or five times he won player of the year for us. But it's just, if we're going to, if we're going to push Henderson, great. You know, then, then he needs to be our number one. Fantastic. Henderson, number one, get him in. If he's not going to be our number one, then we need to, we need to move him on, really. You can't have nearly half a million pounds a week going out in wages for goalkeepers. For me, it has to be De Gea that you sell because obviously the age of both keepers, and I think Henderson's got great potential. You have to sell De Gea. I know you probably won't get as, as much money for, for De Gea as you would Henderson with his age bracket and the wages as De, De Gea's on. Who's going to pay that total package for him? Uh, I've heard you linked with Oblak, which is I think is crazy um, if you're going to sp- spend on his release clause. But uh, what's your stance on Martial? That's what I want to know. Is Do you reckon he'll stay? Do, do, do you reckon you'll cash in on him? I think it says everything that I don't care. Uh, I I, I genuinely don't care. Stay, go, whatever. You've got the potential, but you you haven't realised it enough, so whatever, mate. You must be pulling your hair out when he does performances like he did at the weekend against Man City, and in sometimes he's just the least arsed man in the world on the football pitch. It must be so infuriating for you as a Man United fan. 
Absolutely. When you see players track back and they run past him to get back and he's the one that's lost the ball, I, it makes me want to jump through the TV and like you just go, mate, what are you doing? So, yeah. But does uh, does some of the blame for that lie with potentially, I'm just throwing it out here, but does it some, some of that blame lie with the manager? Because ultimately, if I'm the manager and I want my players doing that and I see that they're not, is it not for him to pull him aside and at some point say, you've got to start doing this or you're never playing for this club again? Um, well, because... When you see the mentality of the other players who are track, all tracking back and also then he did drop Martial and started Cavani, I don't think it's Solskjaer's fault for, because of those reasons, really. Um, I know exactly what you mean. He's the centre-forward. Is he telling him to stay up front? Is he saying don't track back? And But, I, I, yeah, for me, I, I'm just I'm just not really... In, I'm not interested in Martial. If he stays, I know he's got the potential to do it, but he, he's not in my starting eleven next season if we sign the players that we need, so... Yeah, I think if you sell him, you'll get at least probably 40, 50 million for him as well. So I think you, you, you should cash in. Diallo looks a really good player. I'm looking forward to all the, the shouts that he's the next Messi now. And now he's scored tonight. So um, I'm really looking forward to that. And his partnership with Bruno next season. So, um, Scott, we're going to move on to Liverpool now. Um, as much as I don't want to talk about it, they are through in Europe, which is um, a, a bit of a, a silver lining. Um but six defeats in a row at home, which is something I'd never, ever thought I'd say after 68 undefeated at home. Um, this is more than a slump, slump now, isn't it, in, in form? Uh, what needs to change for them to get back on track as well? Um, I think the travel ban needs to be lifted and all the boys need to go sit on a beach somewhere. Um, I, it's fr- I turn to Tom every week and say, I cannot believe how they've gone from not being, being at home for about 10 years and losing six in a row to some rubbish teams as well. And it's it's just frightening. They, they look short of confidence. The manager looks short of confidence. He doesn't... It, I feel like he doesn't know where to turn. And I think this is where his staff have really got to get around him and really help him out. Um, I think he's done well coming out and saying that he's not interested in the Germany job. I think that'll do great for the Liverpool boys. that give him that bit of confidence. But it's... It's frightening. Sellers, you've got this unbelievable attacking lineup last year that would just carve teams apart. Now I don't know what your game plan is. I think Thiago has come in and I think he has disrupted that. I think he wants to hold the ball too much. I think he wants to have a look for a pass. Last year it was bam, 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 goal. It was so good to watch. This year, I get bored watching Liverpool. They bore me. I would rather watch Fulham. I I don't know what's going on in the club. I think the biggest thing they need back is they need that cop back. They need the fans back to give them that because when that cop is in full voice, it is goosebumps, isn't it, at the end of the day. They get that back. They get some confidence going. They can go far, but they've got to win the Champions League next year to be in it. Tough chance, that tough. It's an interesting point when people have, you know, because we've had no fans this season, people regularly say, you know, oh, they miss the fans today or they need the fans back and all of this. But everyone's playing under the same conditions. So I know what you're saying. I think getting the cop back in for, for the Liverpool boys would give them that boost and it put that pressure on them. But that's the same for everyone at the moment, right? I, I just don't think that the cop, I can't see Liverpool fans getting on the back. Um, even in this run, I can't see them getting on the back. I think they surely smart enough to know what they've done over the last three, four seasons and actually be like, do you know what the boys need us now? Whereas your Newcastle, that crowd can be amazing, but are they going to be getting on their players back? They probably are. So it's probably a hindrance for them. But Liverpool, I'd like to think that the fans appreciate the team and they will get behind them, give them that confidence and drive them forward. And I think the victory against Leipzig, people's like, oh, it's just RB Leipzig. They're like two points behind Bayern they're absolutely contending for the league in Germany. That's a bloody good win, and I think it's definitely gone under the radar. Now, Liverpool, Liverpool have done it, though, haven't they? They've, 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 they've won the league, so they've had a documentary made about them. They've all done loads <laughs> of social media stuff. They've done the little paddle games of who's better, Trent or Robbo. They've done all the little, all the little bitty batty stuff. That well done, lads. Pat yourselves on the head. But you haven't delivered again next season. You haven't gone again. So you're not good enough in my eyes. I'm afraid your attitude that- obviously wasn't there. That was a response of a Man United fan, that was. <laughs> but it's to an fair, extent... It's a, it's, a on, fair, it's a fair response, though, when you look for... You compare it to the Man United team, don't you? Let's be honest. You compare it to the teams that have won back-to-back and then come back and won. And that Man United team were always in contention. Always. And I agree with Alex. They've You've, you've got Liverpool fans saying it was the greatest team ever. 
that's that looks a bit embarrassing now, doesn't it? I don't know where this came from. That you've seen Liverpool fans saying it's the greatest team ever. I think for a cycle of three years, it's still really impressive what they did. Champions League final, Champions League win, Premier League win. All the, the crap you see on Twitter, you'll see on Twitter. You're going to get some idiots saying we might be the greatest, blah blah blah. But they're not real Liverpool fans. What what I wanted to say was the point Tom made about the, the cup, and it's the same for everyone. Um, there is a, a massive connection with Liverpool fans and the club, as there is with Leeds and the club, and you can't deny that. I'm not saying that's the sole reason why Liverpool have slumped so far down the league this season. There are so many mitigating circumstances against it, but it's, it is right. Alex is right. It's not good enough for this season. Do I think they, they're going to come back next season? I, I'm, I, I don't know. I think the, the, the whole club, manager, fans, players, are a bit lost at the minute. I think they just need a reset. They need a summer off and they need to reevaluate. Well, what's the targets next season? Are we going to go to top four? Bring some more legs in, into the into the place. Replace a few people who want to go, like Wijnaldum and Origi and Shakiri and all these Deadwood players that might not be in our first team. And then let's let's go again. Let's treat it as Klopp's come into the building from day one, like he did, and turned around our whole club. Because let's not forget where we were before he came, we were eighth in the Premier League. We were absolutely awful. We might have had a title run under Brendan Rodgers two years before he left, but we were mid-table obscurity. So, you wanted to say something, Tom? I, I just, I just, I think it's a cop out saying that the fans need to be back. I really do. Everyone's playing under the same conditions. I understand what you're saying. Liverpool, you know, they've got this great cop and it's all wonderful. But every single club has passionate fans, and every single club usually benefits from having their own fans in the stadiums. And to say that Liverpool need it, every club need their fans back. But that's not the reason that they're doing poorly. They're doing poorly because they're suffering from a lack of confidence. Klopp has, seems to have lost his way. He seems to have lost the ability to motivate them and organise them. It's not to do with fans. Would it help them having the fans back? Yeah, but it'd probably help Newcastle having the fans in the stadium for the home games. I know Scott says that they get toxic. That's absolutely true. But every single football club can have toxic fans. I didn't um, realise Scott hated Newcastle so much, to be honest. I know, right? I, but, but the fact of the matter is, you know, there's clubs at the bottom of the table fighting for survival. They would probably love to have their fans in the stadium for those home fixtures, but they don't. So it's the same for everyone. It's I agree. Well. I agree with that, Tom. I just think at the minute, Liverpool need a hug. They need a big hug. <laughs> they, need, they need that from the fans. They need a virtual, like, they need the, the crowd around them hugging them. Because to, to be fair, lost man, it looks like an easy... You couldn't be more right at the minute. I'd really need a hug, if I'm honest. And that 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 result on um, the other day was a little bit of a hug, but it's the proof will uh, will pin the pudding if we can we can go far in the, in the Champions League. Anyway, I want to move on because I'm going to start crying at Liverpool if we carry on. Um, Tom West Ham leads two 0 to West Ham. Brilliant job Moyes is doing uh, for them this season. He's he, they're fifth in the Premier League. They're only a couple of points off the top four. Realistically, where can West Ham finish? Uh, after a great season for them. And in terms of leads, is it a case of just um, coasting a little bit now they're safe? I think for West Ham, I think we're probably all... I, I'm certainly surprised about how well they've done. David Moyes is clearly a, you know, a good manager. I didn't think he could take a... I think he's outperformed with that West Ham team that he's got. Uh, so, you know, a lot of credit to, to David Moyes for that. How high can they finish? I think there's a lot of clubs that are gonna are gonna have good finishes to this season. Spurs starting to look okay again. You know, uh, Chelsea still looking brilliant under Tuchel. I don't see them dropping many points to the end of the season. Uh, Leicester will still be up there. So I know there's a lot of talk about West Ham finishing in, in European places. They definitely could. Um, it's going to be tough. I think it's going to be a really difficult uh, a really difficult uh, difficult ask for West Ham to make Europe. To be honest, um, as for Leeds. Um, yeah, I probably. I mean, we'd, I'd certainly like to get five more points on the board. Mathematically, we're probably fine, but you know, you'd like to feel safe. And then I think when the shackles come off a bit on the Leeds boys, that and the, that pressure's gone of picking up those extra few points, we might see some pretty damn amazing performances from them. But yeah, I mean, if you'd have asked any Leeds fan if if safety was a priority, they would have said yes, and they'd all be happy with where we are now. We've overperformed, so uh, if if we coast to the finish line. It's going to be happy coasting. <laughs> yeah, I tend to agree with that, definitely. Um, brings us on nicely then from the David Moyes conversation on managers of the season. I wanted to know uh, 
on what you boys think of who are the candidates for that. So, Alex, I'm going to start with you. Who's your candidate for manager of the season? It's a perfect segue. It's David Moyes. That's my candidate for the manager of the season. Um, I think he has recovered fantastically well after doing amazing at Everton and then having his uh, confidence knock and the carpet pulled from underneath him at Man United when he was given a big contract and then really let down by the board and let go too early. Fifth in the Premier League, two points off Chelsea with a game in hand. I think he's overperformed with that squad. I think he's doing a fantastic, fantastic job. Brilliant. Sky? Uh, it's a tough one. I was thinking Moisey, but um, for me, it's my namesake, Scotty Parker. I think he's done an unbelievable job. Um, he's been through a lot of stages this season. From the word go, I remember sitting down, I believe they played Arsenal first game of the season. I sat down and I was like, bloody hell, this team is good. And I can't think of a bad game where I've seen Fulham play. He's playing a great brand of football with him. And a certain Jamie Carragher, I think we've all seen the video of him, he's never been more certain of anything in his life than Fulham going down. And to be fair, at the time, he had a point. The defence was awful. He's sorted that out. And he's got him looking like strong candidates to stay up. And let's not forget, a certain well-known bookmaker actually paid out on them going down. So they will be sweating a little bit right now. Tom? I mean, this is where Leeds bias comes in, isn't it? But um, all the pundits, a lot of the pundits would agree with me that Marcelo Bielsa has brought something to the league, which I think has been exciting. It's at least made you talk about the style of football. Um, you know, I think at times we forget, and I've, I think Bielsa has taught me this, is that football is basically entertainment. You know, we go to watch the football to be entertained. And at some point, we lost our way and it all became a results business. Um, what I like, like about Bielsa is, you know, he'd rather go out and win a game and lose a game than play for points here and there. And I think that that makes it a really engaging style of football. It's fun to watch. And it, we've also done really well on the points tally first league back. And let's not forget that a lot of the players that Leeds are using currently um, were extremely mediocre when he took over and he's turned their their maximum capacity up by about 20-fold. You know, these are players that cost Leeds £200,000 and they're now a mid-table Premier League. So, Bielsa has to be. Sound your typical non-bias there from your Leeds United fan. <laughs> um, I'm going to go Brendan Rodgers. Um, it, it was a toss-up between him and David Moyes for me, but Brendan, obviously his last Liverpool link, so obviously a little bit of bias there for me, but... I've always liked him as a manager and he's done so well with it. With a Leicester club that shouldn't really be involved in the likes of Manchester United, Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea. They shouldn't really be up there in the top four. They've spent some money, yes, I know that, but the squad he's developed is so good. Just 1-18, to 18, it's fantastic. Uh, I know they've got a few injuries now. Hopefully they stay in the, the top four because I really want them to do well. Um, but if they do get into the top four, for me, it's Brendan Rodgers. Um but that's it for the Premier League. Uh, and we're going to talk a bit Champions League now. Um, Tom, some cracking games for uh, the knockouts. What have you got for this for us this week? Yeah, there were some unbelievable games. I mean, um, so far we've got Liverpool, PSG, Dortmund and Porto through into the next round. Um, already sounding like an extremely tasty uh, next round. And we're probably going to see on the balance of fixtures, Real Madrid, City, Bayern and Chelsea join them um, after those follow-up fixtures. Uh, Liverpool, you know, coasted to another 2-0 victory. Uh, it was fairly plain sailing for them. Um Dortmund had a really interesting game against Sevilla where they looked... Uh, Sevilla actually played quite well and in the last 20 minutes, it was like an onslaught and uh, Dortmund, as they like to do, shipped uh, a couple of goals but it was full of excitement. There was a period where Haaland um, scored and then it was ruled out and then it got pulled back for a penalty and then Haaland actually uh, missed the penalty. It was saved and then again, it was drawn back because the goalkeeper came off his line and he scored it and then Haaland went up to the keeper and kind of rubbed it in his face. It was all really exciting, uh, but it was a great game. Uh, PSG Barca looked like it had uh, the signs of it might kick off. Barca played really, really well, uh, especially the first probably half an hour. They had an absolute plethora of chances, uh, but probably the highlight was Porto against uh, Juve. And with 10 men from about the 50th minute, 
managed to hold out and, uh, and and actually win that tie. And Pepe, 38 years old is Pepe. He was absolutely unbelievable. Um, honestly, if he played like that every game, he would fit into any top side in Europe. He was absolutely brilliant, especially considering he was playing the man himself, Cristiano Ronaldo. And that probably leads me into the discussion topic for this week because Cristiano Ronaldo looked very dejected after that game. Messi had the opportunities in the game against PSG, missed a penalty, he had a lot of other chances in that game to light it up and he didn't quite take it. And on the flip side, Haaland became the youngest player to hit 20 goals in the Champions League and Mbappe became the youngest player to hit 25 goals in the Champions League. And so I guess my question, boys, is are we seeing a changing of the guard and is it the end of the Messi-Ronaldo era and the start of the Haaland-Mbappe era? Uh, so I'll pass over to you, Scotty boy, first um, to to let us know your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think my answer to that is yes and no. Um, it's fright. It's it's a bit weird that then then boys did really well in midweek. Your Mbappe scored, your Haaland scored, and then obviously Ronaldo made an error and Messi missed the penalty. To happen in the space of two days, it's easier than to segue into thinking that's it. Now they're done. I don't think it's as cut as dry as that. Ronaldo's top goal scorer in the Italian league. Messi's top goal scorer in the Spanish league. They're pretty decent leagues then. So it's not like they're hitting it up in Qatar or anything. So I think we're going to have a few years of them for. I think we're going to have a lot of conversation about that. But I think it's clear and obvious that the future is certainly going to be Mbappe and Helen. And I think we just love having two people to compare. We've done it for the last 15 years. And I think this is why we're clinging on that we've got two people and we're just going to compare them for the next 15 years. Well, I mean... Is, is there another player that you think you can include in that mix with Haaland and Mbappe of that quality of player? Not at the moment. No, no one springs to mind. The way, the way they've done it over the last sort of few years, and I've, I said this the other day, Haaland just bullies people. He's an absolute machine. I love watching him. And Mbappe is just ruthless at what he does as well. So, no, I think them two are a cut above, but, you know, Mason Mount's quite good, isn't he? <laughs> I think it's a perfect storm for them both uh, with Ronaldo and Messi coming into the twilight of their career uh, and to the, obviously them two just starting out but even the likes of Lewandowski and Aguero Kane all these great strikers I know Kane's probably at his peak now but Aguero and Lewandowski probably two again really top form strikers of the last decade are coming to the end as well you think with their age and they're probably going to move on I know Lewandowski's still smashing it out of the, the park but his age is, what, like early 30s now? Probably, probably a couple of years left of him. So I think it's a perfect storm for them. Uh, but it is all set for a decade battle, a titanic battle between the two uh, for the next um, at least five years, I'd say. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be an awesome, awesome battle to watch all of these other good young players coming through. But yeah, I think it's uh, the changing of the guard is occurring. It doesn't happen overnight, but I think it is. it's in its process. Yeah, fair points, I think. Fair points. Right, brilliant. Cheers for that, Tommy boy. Uh, right, time for some fantasy football now. Um, Al Pep Guardiola did what Pep Guardiola does um, and screwed about three quarters of fantasy football players around the world, including me this week. Who were the star performers of Game Week 27? No, thanks, Cully. And hopefully with the hints and tips I give, I can take some bang average fantasy managers who set their teams up at the beginning of the season and then forget about them and take them from the middle of their mini leagues to the top of their mini leagues and uh, hopefully win some money off their friends. So uh, listen out for some good tips, hopefully throughout and improve your fantasy performance. Uh, but you're totally right. Uh, there's no surprise that the top performers this week came from Manchester City. They had two matches. The top performer was Riyad Mahrez with 20 points. Second time this season, he's got over 20 points in a fantasy football game. He either goes hard or goes home, does Mahrez. He ends up, he's ended up averaging six points per game this season so far, which is the worst in his last three years. Um, but is he an option? Potentially so. Guardiola started him in more matches in a row than he ever has done before. So maybe he is turning to Mahrez at this point in the season. Um, KDB is back. 16 points, two goals. Foden and Gundogan round off the double figures scorers for Manchester City. Um, in terms of Pep Roulette, he has only used, I say, 22 or 23 players this season. 22 players, I think it was from the start, uh, compared to Liverpool's 27 and United and Chelsea's 25. Um, but they do rotate those players a lot. 
the most consistent when they're fit seem to be Edison, Diaz, Gundogan and Kevin De Bruyne, probably followed by Sterling and John Stones. Um, Laporte's featured from the start in, um, in only four of City's 15 clean sheets this season. So for the life of me, I can't understand why he rotates Stones still. But anyway, who am I to question Pep Guardiola? Um, my tip to anybody who, if they are putting together a fantasy football team, probably keep Man City players down to two, if you can do, just because of that. And uh, I'd probably pick Ruben Diaz and Kevin De Bruyne out as the two mainstays uh, and maybe Ilkay Gundogan as your backup player. Um, other top performers, Spurs, Kane and Bale. Bale delivered again. Bale's a great option. He's only owned by 6.4% of fantasy managers. Uh, just to compare that to Harry Kane at 38.7% and 55% of people own Son. So Gareth Bale is definitely your differential option if you want to climb your mini league at this very moment in time in terms of ownership. Southampton and James Ward-Prowse get two penalties. He relies on all of those and free kicks. Che Adams and Armstrong. Man United are Bruno and Shaw. West Ham are Dawson and Cresswell. And other mentions have to go to Armati, Jorginho and Lamina. All of those above got double-figured returns. Lads, review of your game weeks, please. Uh, Scott, you're top of our mini league between the four of us at the moment. You had the best week as well with 82 points. Talk us through your game week and your plans moving forward. Yeah, delighted at uh, this week's game week. Um, yeah, um, my big big decision, obviously, was uh, I brought Kane in this week, um, which, you know, it's paid off straight away. Um, just wish I captained him, but hey-ho, what can you do? Um Big performance again from Martinez. I was really confident that seven points would be the right keeper um, option. But Meslier, who conceded two goals, um, obviously saved a penalty and got some save points and bonus points. So lost, left a couple of points on the bench there. Um, and yeah, Creswell, he seemed to be delivering quite a lot. Um, and he's, I'm very happy that he's uh, been my in my team for the last few weeks. Looking ahead to next week. Um, I think there's only one man I've got my eye on for captain just because his record against Arsenal it's Harry Kane um, and I'm looking at not doing any subs and giving myself two transfers looking ahead to game week 29 yeah, Fantastic Aaron Cresswell the top point scoring defender in fantasy football this season and he's been a fantastic asset that has to be said and yeah I was very jealous of all the Kane owners uh, this week that I didn't have him. Uh, moving on to Cully, uh, he had a, a better week than your team, Liverpool. Sorry, uh, 72 points. Talk us through it. Yeah, not bad. I keep getting my captain choices wrong, though. Raheem Sterling only played one of the games, and that was the dour performance against Manchester United, where he missed a sitter from about two yards, as he always does. Um, I had Fernandez triple captain the week before, uh, and uh, in both games, he didn't do anything as well. So my captain choices... Uh, I've been pretty poor at the minute, but uh, Ward-Prowse was a good decision. Brought him in. Not many people had him in our mini-league. Um, he scored on both occasions. Obviously, Kane got me the, the 19 points. In hindsight, should have picked him as captain. Um, I agree with Scott. It's either him or Bruno for captain next week, I think, for me. Uh, with Kane's record against Arsenal, I've got him in at captain at the minute, but I'm still flipping between him and Bruno, so I've not made that decision yet, but... Yeah, better week. It's been a pretty dire couple of months for me on fantasy from the start of the season, which was pretty good. But better week for me, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. And Tom, uh, I have to come to you. Uh, last out of the three, you had the worst week, but the revival is still on. You were fourth in our mini leagues manager of the month competition in February, just so you're aware. I bet you haven't even looked at that. Uh, but talk us through your week and your plans moving forward. I had absolutely no idea I was fourth in February, but... But, fourth, out of 11. Uh, fourth out of 11, by the way, just yeah, put that in context. I'm, if you go from the when the Tom started paying attention league, I'm doing pretty well, so uh, I'm happy with that. But um, yeah, my game week was predictably average, as it normally is. I was five points above the, the fancy average. Um, I think I actually did choose the right captain in Gundogan. Kane, I know in hindsight, it's easy to say he was the right one, but City had two good fixtures, in my opinion. Man United, I don't think that anyone was expecting them to play as poorly as they did in that game. Uh, yeah, apart from that, my team's very reliant on Leeds. Uh, luckily, I had Melier in goal, uh, but Rafinha and Bamford. Bamford should have scored multiple times. Uh, me and Scott were both pulling our hair out at that one. Um, and the only transfer I've done um, for next week is Creswell, talking of him. Um, because I'm planning for game week 29 and just trying to get as many players in as I can, um, which is lucky, really, because a couple of weeks ago, I wouldn't have even known that there was a blank in 29. So 
Thanks for the advice, Alex. Uh, Sora, I'm going to just quickly segue into game week 29. I mean, next week's game week 28. I'm going to cover that in a second. But game week 29 that everyone's talking about here has four fixtures in it and four fixtures only. So if anybody here is listening uh, and the fantasy football manager, you have two game weeks to plan for that week. There are only eight teams featuring. So that's Fulham against Leeds. That's Brighton against Newcastle. West Ham against Arsenal. And Aston Villa against Tottenham Hotspur. That's something you need to pay attention to. I'm going to come back to that in a second. Game week 28 coming up. There's an early deadline. It's Friday at 6.30 before the Newcastle against Aston Villa game. Uh, The top transfers in this week, we've seen, no surprise, Harry Kane, Gareth Bale. Um, We've seen Luke Shaw, Richarlison, Kevin De Bruyne and Mason Mount sneak in there as the top transferred in players for this week. Um, Looking at the the long view, so coming to game week 29, the four fixtures that we've got, my plan currently there is to use a free hit chip so as to completely change my starting 11 for that one game week. Um, Cully, what chips do you have left? I, I don't think you've got any at this point, have you? I've got my bench boost, but I don't think there's any more double game weeks left in the season, so I'm regretting that. Um, the there's a potential there will be a double game week for Spurs at some point they have a fixture to fit in and there will be a double game week for Everton and Aston Villa I think it is as well so you, you might have the opportunity to use it at this point um, but it's all about what transfers you're going to make this week planning for what strategy you have in game week 29 so I'll be free hitting so I will be completely discounting that game week out of all of my plans so the teams I'm going to be targeting for transfers moving forward um, are going to be looking at Everton, Burnley and Chelsea, more more Everton and Chelsea because they've got good fixtures surrounding it. And if you aren't going to use a free hit and you are targeting players who feature in game week 29, then Aston Villa, Spurs and Leeds have the best fixtures surrounding that fixture. So game week 30, they have the best fixture. So if you're looking at getting players in this week in game week for game week 29, game week 28, 29 and game week 30, I'll be looking at Villa, Spurs and Leeds. Um, top tip, Gareth Bale, big differential, playing every single week, seems to be do, doing really, really well. And obviously watch out for if Jack Grealish is back fit because Aston Villa are a completely different animal going forward. Um, if that is so, uh, captain picks for this week, just to finish up on really briefly. We've all talked about Kane's record against Arsenal. Um, we can't really overlook Leicester. They are playing Sheffield United. So we do really need to make sure that we bear that fixture in mind at home, just in case anyone has still got hold of Vardy. Um, but yeah, if it's not a, a Man City boy when they're playing uh, playing Fulham, it's probably going to be, be Kane as the other option. Um, and that's the roundup of fantasy football for this week. Brilliant. Cheers, Al. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting end to the, to the season uh, in fantasy football terms as well as the normal football. Um, OK, let's finish up with some uh, quickfire questions sent to us by our legions of fans, uh, meaning our friends in our social group. Um, 30 seconds per question, boys, best we can. Uh, and we're going to start with a question on um, Mr. Bay himself to me, Stephen Gerrard. Uh, Scott, terrific job he's done at Rangers, but does Gerard, Gerard now have to move on to a higher standard? Absolutely not. Not a chance. The smartest thing for Gerard to do is another couple of seasons at Rangers. He's not experienced something very important in football yet. He's not experienced failure. It's how you bounce back from failure and learn from it, which makes you as a manager. He's just had a very easy ride so far. He needs to get that under his belt, bit more experience, bit more manage management. And then, do you know what? He is maybe then ready to go up. Don't do what Lampard did. Don't go too soon. Cut your teeth. Best option for him. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, uh, Hopefully down the line, he can uh, he can manage us as well. Alex, uh, what do you make of the handball rule change for next season? Uh, I'll explain if uh, any listeners don't know. They've changed the accidental handball rule for the attackers. So that is no longer going to be a foul if it's given us a goal. Alex, what do you think? It, why did they change it in the first place? Well, the answer to that question is is so that if a VAR check happened on a goal, uh, then they could make an easy decision that they didn't have to give their own opinion in, so they chickened out of it. Uh, and now they finally realised that it was stupid. They should never have changed it in the first place. What were they thinking? And uh, damn right, they're going to change it. I'm glad they're not changing it mid-season because it'd be harsh on some of the clubs that have had decisions go against them so far. Change it for the beginning of next season. Start seeing common sense and start doing it in some of your other laws and stop covering your backsides for VAR. Yeah, make it up as they go along is my opinion. Um, most underrated player of the season, Scott? Um, for me, 
Pablo Fanals at West Ham. Um, it doesn't doesn't really get talked about much, but he's every time I watch him, he's really impressed me. Um, he's he's an integrate. He was a very integrate play, uh, player in that cog at West Ham. Um, he's a hard worker as well. You often see him, you know, doing the dirty work, tracking back, and he's a great link between the obviously the defense and the strikers. Um, and I think he's a really big reason why they are genuine contenders for the top four this season. Yeah, I agree. He's certainly a decent player. Uh, Tom, second coming of Gareth Bale or Falstone? Uh, I don't think it's going to be quite the second coming of Gareth Bale. I think he's changed as a player since the the, the first time he was at Spurs, when he was literally darting past people, although there were glimpses of him doing that over the last few weeks. Um, I don't think it's a false dawn, though. I think we're just going to see a very, very good player being good at football again because he's playing. Um, I think with his link-up with Kane, it's starting to look even more dangerous than the link-up that Son and Kane had. Um, So I don't think we're going to quite see the Gareth Bale of old, but we might see a new Gareth Bale who's very, very good at football um, and is linking up well with the players that he's uh, playing in that team, if Mourinho keeps playing attacking football. If. Yeah, it's a big if at the minute. Um, Alex, uh, this is a divisive one. Uh, Thoughts on the revamp idea of the Champions League? So I'll explain the... The Juventus chairman, uh, I can't remember his name, wants to change the format to a 36-team uh, Champions League with teams playing against 10 teams based on their coefficient and ranking. Um, what do you think? What a load of nonsense. You've given me the two things this week, short, quick-fire ones that are really, really passionate about. It's a joke. In fact, if anything, the Champions League should be shrunk down to the actual champions in it. It not expanded, so more teams that have got loads of history can all play each other and make loads of money it's just such a farce stop it stop messing around with it and let us all enjoy football for the reasons why we love football in the first place stop it i couldn't agree with that more i think send alex to all the meetings that they're having on this one <laughs> alex, you, I, struggled, I struggled to keep that out of 30 seconds tell you that. Alex, alex don't want to watch his team in the champions league then <laughs> <laughs> second we're second <laughs> Uh, I know you're pretty passionate about this subject, Scott, so I'll bypass the 30-second rule. Go, go on. What, what are your thoughts on this, mate? It's it's infuriating. As a lower league fan, um, it's essentially going to mean that the teams playing in the Champions League new format are just not going to bother with the um, the League Cup. They're just, they, they don't really bother anyway, um, but they're literally just going to put out the under-12s and it's just, I'll be honest, it, it will probably go extinct, that Cup, which is a massive the money that the lower league clubs get from that is huge. It is massive. And it's so greedy from the big team clubs. I, I'm so happy I support a little team because it's not about the money. It's not. It's, it's just about the club, the together, the community. And all they care about now is just money, 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 money. And I hate it. And it infuriates me, boils my blood. But hey-ho, we're in a relegation battle in League 2. I'm having a lot of fun down there. <laughs> Yeah, I think when it gets agreed, we'll definitely have a, a more in-depth discussion about it. I'm I'm still holding hope that it's not agreed and they can they can keep this format because as a Liverpool fan, I don't know about you, Alex, I love this format as it is at the minute. Um, Tom, uh, last question: What's England's star in defence at the Euros? This is an interesting one, isn't it? I, you asked me this six months ago, Mounts, so would be very very different. But that's why I asked. <laughs> my back four right now. My back four. Luke Shaw, I know, picking a Man United player, but how can you not at the moment? He's he's in form. And unfortunately, can I have to pick another Man United player in Harry Maguire? Uh, because I also think Harry Maguire deserves to be in there. He is. He's not perfect, but he's, he's a very good centre-back. And in terms of the aerial presence he offers, brilliant. Alongside him, Mr. John Stones. I mean, what a comeback he has made. I think John Stones is an absolute shoe-in. He has to start. Uh, no questions for me there. And then my last pick would have to be, and probably there's so many right-backs to choose from, who do you go with? For me, it's Reese James. And I think the reason I picked Reese James is his ball delivery is absolutely Excellent. And if you've got Harry Kane in the box, he's good with both feet, he's good with his head, you get Reese James whipping those balls in. I think I think that's a really good decision and a, and a solid back four as well, defensively. 
Yeah, it's definitely a good back four. I, I think the best thing is we've got options. Um, I think we've got two really good left backs in Chilwell and Shaw. We've got some centre backs that are actually competent. Well, I say Chilwell, that. Chilwell isn't playing though, is he? Yeah, I know, but uh, I think he's still a really good player. He'll be in the squad. You, He'll definitely Gareth, be the Southgate, squad. Gareth Southgate maintains he plays on form. If he's playing on form, Chilwell isn't playing, so he has no form, so it should be Luke Shaw. If he's playing on form, you've, you've, you've maybe got to look across to Chris Smalling. He's doing wonders over in LA. It's true. And let's, uh, let me throw out a little shout-out to the best defensive right-back in the league, Aaron Wambasaka. If he wants only to play against Raheem England. Sterling, everybody else he gets torn apart by. So <laughs> Raheem, St- Raheem Sterling needs to quit and just change sides. Stop going against Wambasaka. You're not good enough. Yeah, fair enough. Right, okay, let's wrap it up there, boys. Uh, thanks for your time, as always. Lovely seeing your faces, albeit not in person. Uh, if any listener wants to give us a follow on social media, please do uh, on All In Football Pod on Instagram uh, and All In Football Pete on Twitter. Plenty of content coming up, particularly on Scott's one for the Acker tips. Please, please bet responsibly and gamble safely. And we've also got plenty of tips from Alex, the fantasy football guru. Um, Hopefully they can secure you a great finish to the season. Right, until next week, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Have a great weekend and ta-ra. Bye.